Do we know what we're talking about? <laughs> Season three. Hi, I'm John Stevens. This is Matt Russell. This and this <laughs> is Pod Have Mercy. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Man, you're doing way better than I'm doing. You're retired. Yeah. Well, I don't know about that, but I am retired. So that well, officially yeah. retired, which means you don't have to, you know, you can just tell, you don't have to put up with anything you don't want to put up with. Well, you know, there is something really wonderful about that. <laughs> Although it's just amazing when you're free to say no, some of that stuff just goes away. And that's nice, too. That's nice, too. Well, you went out of retirement and then got a full-time job. Don't say again. Oh, I said you, you went out of retirement and then got a full-time job at the TMF. So, you know. Yeah. That's true. And, um, yeah, and I have a little pastoring gig on the side. And, I mean, you know, it's, uh, I'm not one to want to just be sitting around doing nothing. Where are you, um, where are you pastoring? Beeville? Yeah, once a month. Once a month. So, um, yeah, the Matt knows about this. We have in Beeville um, a, a very small United Methodist um, African American church. It was begun in 1888 by six former um, enslaved persons. And it has been going, although there is not a very large um, African American population, it's been going consistently since 1888. And um, but they don't have um, a pastor. I mean, it's sort of gotten, you know, you go from, they were on a two point charge for years and years and years. And then, you know, then it was a local pastor. I mean, they had an elder at one, they've had an elder at a number of points. And then we moved from an elder to a local pastor, and then we moved to a part-time local pastor. And then we moved to um, um, a lay person who's like a lay speaker coming in. And, um, and then when the pandemic hit and she was old and her health was bad anyway, there was nobody. Wow. And so it, it's embarrassing to say, Matt's heard me say this too, that I'm here. I am. I've been here now six years. And I, I just wasn't thinking about wonder what's happened to them, except finally one morning I was out walking and I thought, oh, my gosh, I wonder about Jones. What's happened to them? And um, so it took me a while to, you know, you have to go through them when you're not the bishop anymore. You know, you have to go through all the way to work yourself up to, uh, okay, I need a district superintendent. I need somebody to give me contact name and somebody to tell me what, you know, I, eventually I did get a name and I called over there and, um, and I'm explaining, you know, who I am, which is not much anymore. I mean, I'm a retired Methodist bishop and <laughs> I'm just like three miles down the road from you. And, um, and I, I, I ask, um, you know, who's, who's serving? Well, there isn't anybody there, which is what I'd figured out by then. And when is the, I said, um, you know, when was the last time you had communion? February. That was, that's when they went, you know, that's when they closed to, when the pandemic hit and we all shut our doors for a while. Mm -hmm. And I said to them, I said, well, are you, are you meeting at all? Oh yeah. We, this is this. We, we, we have never quit meeting. We just, 
<laughs> they're their own little, they're their own bubble, right? Small towns like that can do that. Rural, rural Texas. They masked up. They did all this stuff. They socially distanced. They, they did all that. And they said, this church will not close. And so that's what they did. And I said, well, would you like me to come? <laughs> and um, and I'd be happy to bring communion. And, and, you know, they're like, don't know what to make of this either. But, and I don't know what to make of them. But anyway, I um, so I showed up. They showed up. <laughs> and um, we used those god-awful little caps. <laughs> uh, the the yeah. little things where you peel it back so yeah. that supposedly there are no germs on this. And, um, you know, I did something I would have never thought I'd do. I put on plastic gloves to pass out communion. That is <laughs> It, it is against everything I know about being authentic. <laughs> and um, anyway, but you know what? We we I liked them. They liked me. So we agreed on a once a month that I'd come. And so um, we have communion once a month. I preach once a month. I said to them um, after a while, I was like, okay, I pulled a couple of things out of the file at the beginning. And then I said, like, okay, how, how are you all organizing all this? Oh, they said, we follow the lectionary. I said, well, I've heard of that. So <laughs> that's how we keep our preaching straight. So, so there's a pattern that they know where they are in the course of the Christian year. And then I'm on the third Sunday of the month, whatever it's and that's what I, that's what I got. That's what, so I'm preaching and, and, um, new stuff with a real, with real people in front. And John, you will appreciate this as pastor of a very large um, church. When I asked, um, at, on that first phone call, I said, so like how many people come? Well, she said, I think the smallest group we've had is three and the most we've had is 12. I said, okay, we can do this. So um, now I will say just a, a small amount of bragging here that's not to be repeated. Yeah, we do we do better than three on a regular basis. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I mean, it's good for them and good for me. And, well, they have anyway. a they have a celebrity for their preacher now. Do you know who else did that? So who did that? I, I you uh, so uh, Bishop Looney, Bishop Dick Looney. And mm. when he retired, what he was actually huh. our bishop in South Georgia. He was the first bishop in South Georgia when they gave South Georgia its, its own bishop. And when he retired, he came back and he said to us that he, the most growth and the most um, wonderful time in his ministry was after he retired and he went back to Holston, which is up in Appalachia, and he started serving this little tiny church. Wow. And he's like, it's been the most rewarding thing that he said he's ever done. Mm. I feel, you know, it's, I'm a pastor again and, um, and, you know, and it's, it, it's the same people, you know, in front of you week after week. Mm -hmm. So you develop a relationship, you know, see them in the grocery store, (laughs) you know, well, it sounds like your second Sunday is open. So you can come to Chapelwood (laughs) on the the second Sunday or fourth or first. It sounds like you've got all those available. My, my family has told me I have enough jobs now. So. <laughs> well, hey, tell us about your this past 14, 15, 16 months for you. You've written this great article, which we'll, we'll put all this in the show notes on the, and on our 
YouTube and Facebook and everything, people can re- You've written this thing for the Texas Methodist Foundation, well, I think in conjunction with them, but it's Reservoirs of Resilience in Uncertain Times. And it's really resonated with me because it's mm. exactly how we are coming out of pandemic at Chapelwood and what we're focusing on. Um, Barbara Brown Taylor's Altar in the World has really right. resonated with me yeah. about how you develop these real spiritual practices in real time, in real life, in real ways that help you to dig, whether you want to call them deeper reservoirs or deeper wells or some capacity. What I found is that in, in this these past, what is it now, 16 months, 14 months, whatever it's been, mm. it's like the pandemic and the racial issues and the political partisan issues and the cultural issues, just name them. It's like they've peeled layers away from us. And I think that most people fall into generally one of two categories. Either they found something in there that they didn't know they had that was able to help them through this, some reservoir, or kind of like an onion, they kept peeling and peeling and peeling and there wasn't anything there to help them. And it seems like to me coming out of this, that that's one of the primary things that I think we need to do as a church is rekindle community and connection, but also help people to cultivate these spiritual practices, ways of living life that give us just the tools or the whatever word you want to use, practices in real life, because we're going to be confronted with this stuff over and over and over again. Maybe not the same issues, but they'll be back. Some issue will be back. Mm -hmm. That's right. Well, and they've been there all along. I mean, we could go back to the Old Testament and you just (laughs) think about... Think about Walter Brueggemann's work about orientation, disorientation, reorientation. That's been going on, whether it was, um, you know, the Babylonian exile or some other thing that people had to respond and they um, had to look deep into um, their own hearts um, to, or maybe better said, listen to the voice of God, but usually that heard within their own hearts. Um, and to be, um, I mean, Jeremiah, even for all the things he said, I mean, he was a hopeful guy. He said, you know, go buy a piece of land and plant vineyards. Hmm. And um, <laughs> that's where we are, it seems to me. We've got a lot peeled away, but we also have lots to be to be able to, God's leading us to be able um, to look to the future with hope. And um, that's why, for me, these spiritual, um, these spiritual, I don't, I don't want to call them disciplines, but they're practices. Mm-hmm. Um, these spiritual practices are the core of what helps us move toward resilience. Yeah, one of the things, I read an article years ago in Getting Ready for a Sermon, and it was from... Um, one of these, uh, you know, university systems that does agricultural resource, and it was in the Midwest somewhere, and it was about digging a well. And what they talked about is how deep you dig the well, and it has a lot to do on a lot of factors. But the one thing that stood out to me is that if you're in a place where there's a lot of activity near a city, um, you have to dig, or, or roads, or traffic, or pollution, or whatever, you have to dig your well a lot deeper so that the earth, the water that comes down through the earth, it serves as a filter, filtration. Mm. But if you're out in a place where you're out in this, the free Roman country and there's not a lot of traffic or buildings or, or whatever you want to yeah. call it, smog, 
you know, you can, you can drill lower. It depends on the water table, but you can yeah. drill it lower because it, it filters the water. And I think, man, that's kind of the way it is in our lives is that you have some seasons where you're living out in the, in the, in the fields in the countryside mm. and the well doesn't have to be quite as deep. But man, I'll tell you, in recent <laughs> life, it's like you, you almost can't dig it deep, deep enough. enough because if you yeah. dig it too shallow, that water is just not yeah. very useful yeah. in your life. That's a great image. When you hear yourself using such an organic image mm-hmm. and, and you in, in looking at the paper, every almost every image I chose is an organic image. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because those it that's the world, that's that's the core for me. That's who how God made us. Um, and I think that ecology and this new field of ecology that we're paying much more attention to now has lots to teach us about resilience. Um, and, and there are a lot of definitions of resilience going on out there, but the one that ecologists use, and I just stumbled into this. I was reading in some things that, you know, how the world is changing. These are two mm-hmm. Australian um, ecologists who defined resilience as the capacity of a system or enterprise to absorb disturbance and reorganize so that their core purpose in identity um, continues in the face of changed circumstances. That's like a big mouthful, but it's also really helpful Mm -hmm. to think about you know, we. What does that mean for us in the church um, to be able to absorb all this disturbance that you just outlined at the beginning of this conversation? But for us as people of faith to reorganize ourselves so that our core purpose, and then that means you got to be really clear about what your core purpose is, and our core identity, which means you got to be really clear about what your core identity continues even though the circumstances are dramatically changed. Mm. So I think that sends us back to Jesus. I think that sends us out into the world. Um, and um, I, 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 think, I think that these organic pictures of things like your reference to the well, it can make, it helps us get a sense of where God's calling us. Mm. It also seems like it provides some, at least not a, um, a system of way forward, but it provides this framework that says the things that, the, and maybe the way the church has been operating up to this point, there's things that are shifting, things that are falling away, things that, as, as John will say, need to be recalibrated, reimagined, right? And that's to, to incorporate these practices and the, this imagery of, of this kind of reorientation, this, that, so that we can continue on in the same purpose, I think um, is, is super helpful. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, I just give God thanks that um, Brueggemann keeps writing <laughs> because <laughs> he's reminding me, um, whether it's, you know, here comes the poet or whether yes. it's in the Psalms, he keeps reminding me again and again that life for everyone, there is a season of orientation, um, hopefully a good long season, but there will come to everyone a season of disorientation. Um, And God is as present in that season, moving toward reorientation as God is, you know, when things are 
the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I mean, so it's, um, it, it's, I, I just think it's a very helpful framework um, for people who are going, not just the church in the situation we're in, but also for individual lives. Um, one of the things that I referenced in this, um, I heard about a church um, in San Antonio and one of, this is a big church, one of the, um, the, the associate pastors during, while the pandemic, we know everybody was not going to, I mean, we were all closed up, everything was virtual, we're online. I mean, she had the idea that what if we curate some folks who have been through hard times, people from our congregation, and that's, that's, it's a big city, so it's got lots of possibilities, and curate those and do them kind of like you're doing a podcast, except this was all video. And they did about 12 of those on a Sunday evening, and people talked about, again, my language, from Brueggemann is orientation, disorientation, reorientation. They talked about it as wilderness times and how God was present in the wilderness coming out on the other side. So you had people, laity, teaching laity, mm. encouraging, supporting laity. I just, now they have a whole, you know, they, they're, they've got a whole drawer full of video of people saying, but now, but but now it's okay. Right. Uh, it's a it's it, it's. I've listened to a number of those. Some of them are just really powerful. Mm. Uh, they range everything from um, you know homelessness, job loss, um, you know sexual abuse, um, post traumatic stress. Um, I mean, the, the, it's a wide ranging. Um, uh, but it's a fascinating mm. story yeah. of God seeing us mm. through. Mm. You know, it, it, a lot of what you write about, too, reminds me of a lot of stuff I've read about, you know, change management theory of, you know, there's the, you have to have this unfreezing process, and then you have to have what they call cognitive restructuring. You have to learn something new, mm -hmm. and then it refreezes into a new reality. But one of the things they talk about when I've, I've seen this through church mergers or changes in our own individual lives, is that, and you use the term uh, core, uh, core purpose and identity, if right. people feel like they're going to lose their identity, they will not make the changes they need to make. It's why you know yeah. as a bishop, uh, you'll go into some little old struggling church, and they know they need to change, and they know they need to reach the people in their community, right. but something threatens their identity, they just can't do they it. They lock it down. And they would rather die and just the last one out, turn off the lights, mm -hmm. than change. Yeah. And it's, it's I, I think, one of the things is I've just kind of thought about the past, you know, 14, 15, 16 months is a lot of people are responding to the difficulty in the, uh, that we've all experienced in so many different ways as sort of a fight or a flight. They either huddled up in their home and locked in or man, they go to war, right? Just and I think the people who, in either way, feel a threat to their identity. The people who are fighting, like the people who are who are mad or angry, yep, yep. it's like they think they're going to lose some core piece of their identity. And kind of what I think needs to be done, the church is to help people understand that that identity that you're afraid to lose is not really the identity that you have in Christ. Right. 
And I think that's a big fundamental thing. I think we have to blame ourselves in the churches and pastors for not really helping people do this hard work. We've kind of dealt more with the felt needs and not dealt with difficult issues. Yeah. And so now um, people are in a bad place, and and they're acting out of their instinct because they think their identity is threatened. Mm -hmm. And what I want to say is, man, you've got an identity, but it's rooted in the wrong things. Mm -hmm. And I also wonder if I can reorient... Go ahead. Just real quick, say one thing yeah. back to you, Don. I, I think that's where the focus now on what does it mean to be a disciple yeah. of Jesus, and that clarity about that is so important because that's an identity. Mm-hmm. Um, if yes, you are, no, you're not. It's, it's, a, it's an identity. Um, Matt, sorry I interrupted. No, there. no, I just, no. Like, I, I think that's right. I mean, I think that somewhat the, what the church is, has done in terms of, is we've taught a type of faith that's been much more rooted in um, certainty than it is in uh, risking forward in this mystery that is God. And so much of our faith has been about really not risking anything. It's been about really tying it down, making sure the system works, all those kinds of things. And now we're in this place of disorientation where the system that we've been propping up actually doesn't work in, in times of, of, of reorientation, right? That we need the, the core of who God is continues to call us forward in faith and in trust and in risk. And I think that's what, um, what I find to be both exciting and disturbing about this time. I agree. I agree. Could I ask, um, you, you pick um, hope and purpose and courage. Out of, yeah. like, yeah. why those three out of all the other kind of words you might have picked as well? Like, what, what, um, what's, what's captured your imagination about those three? Um, you know, I think, you know, I chose hope because... It, I think it is fundamental to change and mm-hmm. fundamental to faith. Um, I mean, from the, I mean, if I just, if I were to look through the scriptures, go to Genesis to Revelation, and certainly in between, uh, I mean, the Bible is a story of hope. I mean, mm-hmm. you got Noah sending out the dove, you know, <laughs> for there to come back in and finally she shows up, you know, with a, with a, piece of something green in her beak now, all the way to revelation and talk about the new the new jerusalem the heavenly city so for me hope bookends who we are as people of faith and it's it's our beginning point and in many ways it's our ending point mm-hmm. um so for me you gotta you know things start there um as as a as a, as a practice you know i'm really um when I was writing this, um, you know, again and again, I was listening to John Lewis. This was not too long after his death that I was actually mm-hmm. sitting in the computer writing this. And John John Lewis, I mean, he probably is one of the most hope, articulates hope more clearly than almost anybody else at, at that point in time. And, and he just thinks you never give up on hope and, and that you get into trouble, good trouble. Because, you, you know, he's about making change, but that what leads him there is hope um, mm-hmm. and what keeps him there despite all the difficulties in his own life and the life of his people, um, it was hope. So that's that's why I, I started out with hope. Um, 
and I, I chose courage. It could have been around. I was kind of, you know, I just, it's, it's purpose and also identity. Those things get are really closely related because you've got to know who you are and who you are is very closely connected to what your, what your purpose is. Mm. And for any of us as individuals, and I think this is true for congregations too, um, you kind of I mean, what is, what, what is our purpose? Um, and if our purpose is all enclosed, taking care of one another and, you know, it's very closed up. Uh, I, I mean, we're, that's not a purpose that's going to keep us around very long and nor it should. Um, Jesus calls us to a much higher purpose than that. He lived a life of much higher, a high purpose. And I think being getting clear about our purpose is absolutely essential. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then courage is just, um, oh my gosh, the courage is the willingness to lead without regard for the difficulties and without reward, really. It's the willingness to lead and move forward without regard for the um, rewards that you might or might not get. Wow. Um, I think I think it's the most difficult We've we've come. I my generation. I mean, y'all are younger than I am, but my generation has come through, and what in many ways was kind of and we didn't think of it as easy. But as we looking back on it from where we might be sitting now, <laughs> it, it looked a lot easier um, because the church was on the ascent. Um, so because we were ascending. Um, it, it didn't take nearly as much courage to stand up and preach the truth. But after a while, it became clear that we were descending <clears throat> as a as a church. And when and when a congregation or a church does that, then speaking the truth and um, preaching the gospel that Jesus preached. Um, I mean, I ask myself, how come nobody's preaching on the Beatitudes? <laughs> Why are we not preaching the Sermon on the Mount? Um, so, I, I mean, that takes courage, especially in this environment, especially yeah. in this environment. So, um, I, I, I mean, that's why I chose, I, I mean, I, I think courage is essential. And every quote leader in the Bible, I mean, it's a little, you know, everyone that I can think of that we're being called to learn from, they are all courageous people, mm. every last one of them. And they dealt with hard things. Yeah, no, and, and I think <clears throat> I think of my own years in ministry, I think it, it's, it's been easier up until about the last five or six years. That's, there's something that happened in the last five or six years. I don't think it's one thing, but it's just as a whole, all of the things together. But it yeah. does seem like it's a lot harder. I thought maybe it was just because I moved to Texas and came to Chapelwood and that was why it was harder. But, I, but I, I've heard from other people back in Georgia that it's hard there too. So apparently it's hard everywhere. I love, uh, I, one thing you were, I made me think uh, about hope and you say in your article that you know hope is, is rugged, it's more than simple optimism. And I always have said, you know, hope uh, people think like wishful optimism is hope, but optimism is rooted in circumstances. 
where hope right. is rooted in this volitional commitment. Mm, mm, just like I think love is the same way. Yeah. You know, you don't love just because I feel like I love you today. Love is a volitional yeah, a verb gritty. and commitment. And you even say, you know, hope as a verb is a potent word. Mm. Right. And it, it, you know, it, it's muscular. It, and, mm. and, and this is true for all three of those things, but this is particularly, I think, true in hope. It takes practice. Mm. I mean, <clears throat> you know, it takes practice. And so resilience comes as we practice hoping and hoping now in this verb sense, the active sense that we're moving forward. It's the John Lewis sense of keep walking, take the next step, do the, even if it's hard, you take the next step. I even think, um, I even think like, um, so let's just take, there's so many different issues we've dealt with pandemic and race and pop, but I just think about politics and think about the, the sides, right, if you will, and how little mm. hope there is. Both sides, it doesn't matter which end you're on, kind of feel like right. the world's going to uh, Hell a, 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 a nice, I got to say it a nice way, the world's just going to pot, <laughs> and, uh, and it's going in the wrong direction, and it's the other team's fault, right? But there's no mm. sense, now I, I get that sense from people who are more moderate or centrist, that you know, like even my, my, my mentality is, man, we've engaged in this unique American experiment for a long time and we mm-hmm. haven't always gotten it right, but you know, we keep moving forward. So I have a sense of hope that I choose to have that we're going to make it through this as hard as it is. But I get a sense that just as a culture, um, there's not a lot of hope out there for the denomination, for uh, sociological issues, for p- political issues, for whatever. I mean, there's just hopelessness that's not a good place to be yeah um, i couldn't agree more i mean it's and at the same time that it's not a good place for the culture to be the denomination to be it it is the place where people of faith christians those who follow jesus it's where we step forward um and um act courageously to hope um, hope again as a verb, as um, an active verb. Um, uh, Krista Tippett is, is opening up a new um, podcast thing I read, and she's calling it, I think she's calling it uh, the muscle of hope. Mm-hmm. Um, I see that's another good word. Hope is a muscle. I mean, maybe she read my paper. I don't know, but it's, um, but those are the people, those are the voices we want to listen to and to follow. Those who understand um, that, um, I mean, we hope because we have faith in God mm-hmm. and in Christ and in the power of the Spirit. Mm. You use this word a lot, or at least this, uh, you allude to this whole thing about oscillation, patterns, yeah. patterns of oscillation. Um over a lifetime, oscillating patterns of inward to outward, private prayer, public witness, personal holiness, social holiness expands our capacity to become purposeful, courageous, and resilient. Mm. But when you think about oscillation, help people understand, like, what does that mean for you, oscillating? Um, and you know, you know what an oscillating current is? It's got up and down. Life comes to us 
it, it's not we're not always on a high point. Um, thank God we're not always on a low point, but it's moving through those. Um, here's a, 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 a some work that's been done by child psychologists about about children living through various kinds of trauma and which ones are able to respond and to move through in a good way and those who are not. And one of the things they discovered is that the stories that are told in their family about what happened, um, that if those stories are seen as things were really, it was really tough and we didn't have, and there's all that, but, and then you have, um, and whatever the but is that caused that, and this is how we got through, that children hearing those kinds of family stories over time incorporate that into who they are, right. and that they seem to do better um, in terms of coming through on the other side yes. of trauma um, in, in their lives. I just find that fascinating mm -hmm. that Certainly, and um, we know this in terms of spiritual life. I mean, there are all kinds of ways to pray. And sometimes at one point in one's life, you know, there may be, it may all be contemplative prayer. Um, but at another point, you know, we need the community around us physically um, supporting and holding us. That's, again, this kind of balance that's not a stasis where you're just stuck in one place, but rather it's this movement um, of um, up to down and, um, and, and connecting in various ways. I don't know if that's clear enough, but um, it, it, I, 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 what I'm trying to express is that it's, it's a balance, not as, as um, stuntness, but as a movement, an inward, mm -hmm. it's like breathing, an inward flow, an outward flow, an inward flow, an outward flow. That's the story of our lives. That's the story of faith. Jesus, you know, we can look at the creeds and just see that he's born of the Virgin Mary, suffered, now we drop. <laughs> <laughs> and at the end, he rises. It, it's the, it is the story of our faith. Yes. Um, it's the story of Jesus. And so um, helping people see that and incorporate that into the journeys of their own lives is um, part of what I think we're blessed to do as mm. pastors. Yeah. I just, you know, I, I think of an oscillating fan in my back porch. We've had the hottest summer that, that we've had like forever. And I have this big oscillating fan. And when I sit out there by myself, I can turn the oscillation off and it just blows on me. But if I have other people I love, like my wife or my daughter, and I turn oscillation on, I don't get the cool air all the time. I have to share it with them. So it's <laughs> off of them and it's hot. And I'm, I just think of culture like that. It's just like, I don't really want like, the bad time. I don't want the hot time. I just want the fan blowing on me all the time. Control and that's it. like, we only want the good, but it's just not the way uh, life works. No. And especially... Like you said, the core purpose and identity, if I look around and I'm in the company of other people that I love, why am I not willing to let some fan blow on them? <laughs> but I think the recognition that I think um, some of that that uh, that you wrote, like there was on one page, 
where um, where you talked about and American Christians have become more accustomed from moving from strength yeah, to strength, victory to victory. victory to victory, rather than any whales or dependence on God. I think about the prosperity gospel that has been really big in um, or any type of this Christian secularism or Christian nationalism, where it's only victory, it's only riches, it's only blessing. And um, words like lament, you know, learning yeah. prayers of lament, Brueggemann writes a lot about that as well, is that, you know, I, I've always told people when I go through, it's like, read the first 10 chapters of Psalms. Seven of them are Psalms of lament, which right. gives you a sense of the language of the people of God. And That's yet right. we don't teach our people to lament because we're always trying right. to focus on the good. And I think, again, that's another way that we haven't done a good job preparing people yes. for the desert wilderness. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, I couldn't agree more. You know, I, I grew up on a farm, so I think this sense of seasons is partly just in my own bones. And when you think about the scriptures, all of them are mm. in an agriculture-based world. It's, I mean, we have an industrial, you know, communication none of that exists and so the sense of the sense of seasons but also this and by that i mean i'm not just talking about summer winter spring and fall but rather drought yeah and and rain yeah. and that uh, you know in god's good time you know there's manna from heaven mm. um and and that's what we hope for yeah. so that kind of sense of season of of balance of um, oscillating, um, I, I think I find that very helpful. Um, I'll, I'll say, you know, we look at the history of Methodism in the U.S. I was um, I was um, I was thinking about this the other. So uh, Brooks Holyfield was um, had him for a professor. He's retired now. I had him too. Okay. Oh my gosh, he killed my paper. He didn't like the. He, he was very. <laughs> don't you remember how hard he was on like grading your your grammar? He lighted. He like simple short sentences. Okay. Anyway, continue. I just have some scars <laughs> so left trauma. from Professor Holyfield. I figured out you would have had Brooks Holyfield. Anyway, so what he when he looks at the beginning of Methodism and think about this in oscillation. So you look at the beginning of Methodism, we start out, um, our main way of, of communicating the gospel was revivals. I mean, yes. that's the first hundred years, yeah. it's revivals. Yeah. Um, and then out of the revivals Can't came be. the beginning of sort of the next phase, because people left those big camp meetings, um, says Brooks Holyfield, and some of them started congregations, some of them started small groups. And so then slowly we populate, and then um, through Asbury, you know, we have the um, the whole sense of, con of, of here we have congregations kind of coming into being. Mm -hmm. um, and of course the big split then in 1844, now, and then we moved into these big structures of the denomination. And I think it's pretty clear that the kind of huge superstructures that we once saw are not going to be there mm -hmm. anymore. But there is, there are other things being born at yes. the same time. And that's, again, I find that very hopeful. I mean, we've been focused on a tractional model church. That's who we've been 
at least since the 70s. Yeah. Um, that's kind of how we defined. And we did, um, to go back to an ecological metaphor, we are not right now very biodiverse. I mean, we are mostly into attractional model congregations, but that's already changing because we're starting to see new forms. We're seeing um, some very interesting experimenting going on um, with, I mean, what you've got at Chapelwood, I mean, I know you don't call it a church, but Spring Spirit, people come together, they pray, they learn, they're engaged with each other. I mean, isn't that a big chunk of what the church does? Um, And, so, I mean, there's, so there's that. We've got other more missional models kind of popping up. Um, uh, there, and there's just a variety of new forms. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what will hang around and what will, I, I don't think a tractional model will completely go away, but I think it will want to um, more clearly help its people to be disciples of Christ. And we'll get more focused in our congregations on what it means. I mean, that's identity as a mm-hmm. disciple of Christ and what is our purpose um, as um, a whole church full of disciples. Um, anyway, that's kind of my, I mean, I find that very hopeful. We, you know, we've come through changes before, you know, we've made some mistakes, but we'll come through changes again. Mm-hmm. Uh, just have some difference than it is now yeah yeah i think of that attractional model my grandmother used to call it. she says he's a mile wide and an inch deep right. you know and i think that <clears throat> you know we've we've done a lot of the high energy attractional rah rah and mm. it feels good at the time but what i think we learned if we hadn't learned it this past year i don't know that we're going to learn it is that we've got to have some resources reservoirs, capabilities, wells, access to something uh, way more than we've had access to. And so I think you're going to see a lot of churches uh, going a lot deeper than they are wide. And I don't think that's cutting off or limiting what they'll do as far as a focus, but I think it's going to be more targeted. I think you're going to see more diversity. Like when you talk about Spring Spirit over on our Campbell uh, Road campus, you know, we're partnering with them even more to think about what does this hybrid relationship look like? So instead of us going out thinking that we're going to plant a church somewhere, what if we are in closer connection with this unique ministry that's had great success reaching the neighborhood or the Hispanic families? And what if we just come alongside them instead of saying, we got to do it our way on our playbook? let's explore what this hybrid option looks like. And it'll be a whole new way of defining what a church will be here, but it's got the potential to reach thousands of people on a weekly basis Mm -hmm. uh, through soccer, through baseball, through spiritual ministry, through mentoring education, through all these sorts of things. I mean, it's impressive. It's impressive. Um, So... Thank you. Thank you all that are involved with Chapelwood in doing this. Um, hey, so what are you looking forward to now that, you know, pandemic is somewhat over? What are you looking forward to? Well, one thing um, we're looking forward to at TMF, and I'll just say start, start with that, is being able to be back together in person again. Yeah. I mean, this has been a long um, 
I mean, thank goodness for Zoom. We've all learned <laughs> how to use Zoom in new ways. I, mean, I never think I will never travel as much as I once did. That's yes. all good. Having said that, there is nothing that takes the place of holding hands together. That's right. And, That's right. And um, and listening to each other's story and watching somebody's body language and and um, our plan together are um, that th that's just irreplaceable. And I think we're such an embodied faith um, that we really we really need to. And look, I look forward to getting back together. Um, and um, and so that's one um, for sure. And, um, you know, we've, we're, I'm just down the road from, um, our son and daughter-in-law and grandchildren and the two older ones now, but one is, one is at A&M, the other one starts Texas Tech this fall. So, but I have a little 10 year old down the road. So, um, and we just came back from a big camping trip with him. So I, um, I love this and, mm, um, awesome. even more, and even more than I did before, um, I love watching the sun come up every morning um, and uh, the stars come out at night. I mean, we're deep I in live, the heart you know, of Texas. It happens every day where I can see it. No <laughs> yes, right. You're not in Houston where there's a smog layer Lord. and there's no stars. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, that, I don't think that'll ever change that. Um, what a gift that is yeah. every single morning. We do know, I want to thank you so much for being with us and I love you so much and think the world of you. So I'm not going to ask you any questions about what you think is going to happen in the United Methodist Church. How does that sound? <laughs> well, I think that none of us know right now what's going to happen in the United Methodist Church. We'll get you back when we know more. We'll talk about it. All right. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. I'll come back. Well, we miss, right. we miss seeing you in these parts, but hope that uh, you get back around soon Absolutely. now that the pandemic's over. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much. <laughs> Let me know when you're on the road preaching. Second Sunday. <laughs> Don't look for it anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for being with us. We love you. Bye-bye. Thanks, Bishop. She, she's uh, missed. Yeah, deeply. Just her, her, her steady way about her is, you know. So I remember, um, I don't remember what year it was, but there was, um, it was one of those years at a general conference in the Methodist church. And man, they were like, it was this really contentious, like vote on something. And yeah. she was in the chair presiding. Yeah. She was a I council mean, of bishops. Yeah. And President. just the way she handled oh. what was probably one of the most difficult mm processes yeah. um we've yeah. had some bishops that do, she does it really well we've had some that don't do it very well <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> not gonna mention any names yeah but she is a pro yeah i mean she really you talk is. about yeah they ain't a hobby for her she's yeah it ain't a hobby and she's a non-anxious president president i think she set she had a, a real view towards like like how do we empower young pat she saw the change coming you know, in the denomination, and oh, she yeah. really empa empowered younger pastors with 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 capacities, knowing that those folks are now in the midst of all of this change. You know, and she was she doubled down, and how do we equip those folks that um, that would be in this very situation? I don't know now? the exact data 
points, but I do know that when she came, she was here for like 12 years mm-hmm. in the Texas conference. When she came, the average age of a pastor was like X. And when she left, it was like 15 or 20 years yeah. lower yeah. because she had done such a good job yeah. recruiting and pulling in. Right younger pastors. And so the Texas conference still benefits from all of that, that she's done. But yeah. She is, uh, she's something else. Sure Can't wait is. for her to get over here and preach. <laughs> is it the second Sunday? Of second Sunday month? of some, some we're going to get her. Well, I'm John Stevens. And I'm Matt Russell. And this is Pod Have Mercy. <laughs>